Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Turn with me in your thinking to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. Begins like this in the 600th year of Noah's life. On the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the fountains of the great deep burst open. There had never been a catastrophe quite like this in the history of the universe. And only eight people would live to tell it. What happened? What's the reason? You'll pick up the account in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. God saw the wickedness of man. It was great upon the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of of the earth. And God went on to give a great sign that never again would devastation and destruction come that would liquidate and annihilate humanity upon the earth. God hung a rainbow in the sky. It would be a sign of his mercy. And every time that God would look down, and you'll read that in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 16, God said, When I look Upon this rainbow, it will be a reminder to me to offer mercy unto man. And every time that God would look down on top of that rainbow, the top collar is always red. And it would be a reminder to God of the red blood of Jesus Christ to forgive. And when man would look up from earth towards the creator, the bottom collar of the rainbow is always a bluish purple a sign of royalty, a sign of kingship. It's a reminder that God is creator of all things, maker of the universe, and is supreme. I find it amazing that the rainbow that God gave as a sign of mercy would be the very thing that would be mocked by the most detestable crowd that sin sins found in Romans chapter one They choose the rainbow as their emblem to be on their banners. And so the wickedness that brought the end of the antediluvian world had resurfaced. And the storm clouds that filled the sky then, may I say, I believe they have returned. There's a common saying around the church that God loves the sinner and hates their sins. I wonder if maybe we need to rethink that for a moment. For when judgment came, it came on those wicked people called the antediluvians. And only 13 chapters later, God's judgment fell on that wicked, abominable crowd there at Sodom and destroyed all of those cities down through that Jordan Valley. And all that was left was the Dead Sea. But it said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Nobody else but Noah and his wife 
and his family. I'm just titling the message, Noah's Wife. It's a special day today, and I wanted to somehow include it in with your thinking for a few moments. And to this family, God said in Genesis 6, 18, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, Mrs. Moses, and your sons' wives. Noah didn't suddenly become aware that he needed an ark three days before the flood came. He was in the process of developing relationships with God for at least 120 years before the flood. His fellowship with God informed him that a flood was coming and that he needed to build the ark. Through the years, he had developed an understanding of how to build the ark. He understood what it was to hear God's voice. He learned many things about God and the amazing thing, he seemed to have taught it to his family. This prepared his family for the great storm. May I say to you, there is some storms coming. I've sensed it for a while. I've been here 28 years and I've never said anything about a storm, but I think you'd better get your ark ready. You better get your family ready. There's a storm on the horizon. And here's what the psalmist said in the 32nd Psalm, verse six through eight. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Noah made a covenant with God before the rain came, not during the rain. The problem with most of us around the church world, we we wait till trouble times come. And when the trouble comes, we begin to run to the Bible trying to find scriptures to bail us out of our dilemma, difficulties. I'm saying we must be prepared ahead of time as did Noah. I read again through my mind the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. And the story is about 10 virgins. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. All 10 had lamps. All 10 had lit lamps. All 10 slumbered and slept. All 10 woke up. The only difference between the wise and the foolish, the foolish took no oil with them. They were not prepared for a long wait. And I'm simply saying, you'd better get ready. The coming of the Lord is close. And if we prepare, we'll not fail. We'll be ready for the coming of Christ. This couple, Noah and his wife, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, according to verse 8. She had married a man that had a walk with God. That's the kind of marriage you want to have. Together they had three sons, according to verse 10. Verse 11 tells us the earth during that time was corrupt before God and was filled with violence. Verse 13, God said, the end of all flesh is coming before me. I will destroy them along with the earth. Then in verse 14, make thee the ark, make an ark. Pitch it within and without with pitch. 
And they did that. And in Genesis 7, 7, Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because the waters of the flood. Verse 13, in the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Jepheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him into the ark. Now the Bible shares four scenes of those that saved their households. And if you were here last Sunday with our Gideon speaker in the second service, he had mentioned three. And I, it stood out to me, this thing of saving your family, this thing of saving our home, our, our household. And if you gain the whole world, but you lose your family, what have you really gained? There needs to be a priority in the mind and the hearts of every man and every woman in the house to get your family in. Storm's coming. Rahab was one of those, and Genesis, our Joshua was six. She met these Israelites, and she said, I believe in your God, and what do I need to do to be spared? And they said, get into the house. Get everybody you want spared, get them into the house, and throw a red cord over the wall. And the Bible said that Rahab was saved alive and her father's household and all that she had. Joshua was another. Down in the 24th chapter, verse 15 of his book, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and, and Silas, what must we do to be saved? And the response was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Acts 16, 31. And then the fourth, of course, is Noah and his wife save their household. Is there anything any more important to us? Now, how is it they were able to save their family? What was it that caused them to come to this conclusion? Three things. One was faith. The Bible said that Noah, by faith, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark. And the verse right before that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That little verse gives us an insight into the very mind and heart of this couple. They were diligent seekers of God. They sought to find the mood of God and the mind of God, and that's what they were all about. I hope you feel the same way. Genesis says that he walked with God. Do you have a walk with God? Do I have a walk with God? The writer to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 1, he said how you ought to walk and to please God so that you would abound more and more. All of us need to have a walk with God. During our Thessalonian series on Wednesday evenings, we shared that walking with God requires at least five things. First, it requires life. Dead people don't walk. So you need to be born again. And if you're born again and become a part of the family of God, you can have a walk with God. But it takes life. 
It takes growth. Babies have legs, but they can't walk. They need strength in their legs. They need coordination. And then they begin to walk, and then you wish they weren't walking. And may I also add that walking requires liberty. I don't care how strong you are and how long your legs are. If somebody binds you up and ties you up, you can't walk until you're set free. And the Son of Man came to set us free. May I add that walking requires light. I'm glad Jesus is the light of the world. And if you've ever been home in the night and the kids left toys strewn out and you don't have the lights on, it's dangerous. If you come home and the wife has rearranged the furniture, you better get the lights on. Darkness will destroy you. And a fifth thing, walking requires progress. That's why I don't like these running machines and ellipticals and treadmills. You have to put out a whole lot of effort and you don't get anywhere. And so walking is very important. And Noah was one of the four people that the Bible said had to walk with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. There was a, there was a priest in the days of uh, Herod, the, the king of Judea. His name was Zacharias. The Bible said that he had to walk with God. One day Enoch took a walk with God and walked so far that he never returned home. The Bible talked about Abraham having a walk with God and God on that walk through life with Abraham took him to places he would have never found on his own. And if you're having a daily walk with God and, and you, you'll get to know God when you talk with God and God talks with you, you're able to see into the very mind and in the very heart of God. And he reveals things to us. He opens his word to us. Those around us may not see, they may not be aware, but if you're walking and talking with God, you will. But not only faith, there was another thing that brought this conclusion to Noah and his wife that they'd better get ready, a flood was coming. Not only faith, but also fear. Noah was moved by fear, Hebrews eleven seven says, and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The Proverbs writer said, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. One of the things that brought me to the conclusion that I better get right with God as a young boy was the fear that I could die without God and be lost. You say, I don't like that kind of preaching. That's fine, I did. I needed it. And it's the fear that awakens our soul. Now the scriptures do not tell us what went on in the days of Noah and his wife. Only words mentioned are great wickedness and continual evil imaginations. And Noah realized con conditions could not continue as they were without something happening. Even like Lot down there in Sodom, remember him? For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. That word vexed, in the original Greek means worn down. And the word filthy means lasciviousness and lewd and lustful and sensual and carnal and fleshly. And conversation means a way of life, not talking about speech. And this teaches us that Lot wore down his righteous soul continually by being around a worldly, vicious, lustful 
You can get worn down to the place you lose your resistance and you finally just kind of cave in. Noah feared God. And he lived in a day when a great amount of fear was needed to cause a man to plane timber and haul logs and begin a construction of a vessel that was a a length of a football field and a half a length more, three stories high, nothing like it. They'd never seen a flood, but the fear of God got him building to save his household. And that generation had absolutely no fear as they watched the construction of the ark. But Noah and his boys continued building. The day came when they witnessed the animals line up and by twos begin to enter into that ark. It had to be an unbelievable event. Genesis 7, 16 reads that they went in, went in male and female of flesh as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Just as a side note, did you know that God is able to distinguish between a male and a female? Think about that for a little while. Educators, politicians, media, and Hollywood, I guess they think they know more than the creator God. God knows the difference. And when they came out, they were still a male and a female. I think Matt must have left the notes up here. I'm reading his stuff. (laughs) So Noah went to work. He prepared an ark. He saw a storm coming. And it's not a flesh in the pan. Let me tell you, this took years. And some calculate that for 120 years, he built on this ark. And I believe it after going down to Kentucky and seeing the replica of the ark. Have you seen it? Immense. It's bigger than about anything you've ever seen. And if you save your family, it won't be haphazard either. It'll take work. It'll take time. You'll have to be consistent. It takes courage. There'll be pushback. There'll be resistance. And nobody will agree. But Genesis 19 carries another account of judgment. The scene is Sodom, a man named Lot, and he didn't prepare his family for the judgment that was about to come. And he waited to the very last moment when the storm was about to hit. The Bible said that Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law, which married his daughters and said, up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. And he seemed as though one that was mocked. And if you wait to the last moment to try to get your family in, let me tell you something. You're gonna seem as mocked too. He not only prepared, but he followed a pattern. God laid it out for him. And that plan's found in Genesis 6, 15. And this is the fashion or the pattern of the plan which thou shalt make it. And if Noah had not have followed that plan, let me tell you, I don't think the ark would have survived that awful flood. It wasn't just an ocean. The entire world was an ocean. And I believe the Bible also lays out a plan for the saving of your household. The scripture's the best planned parenthood book that's ever been written. It'll tell you how to raise your family. It'll tell you how to make your marriage work. It'll tell you how to get the kids in. It's a beautiful book. Planned Parenthood, the Bible. And God told Noah to pitch that ark within and without, 
and the word pitch refers to tar. It's a substance used to coat the inside and the outside of that vessel to make it waterproof. And the Hebrew word copper is translated pitch. Only this one time in all of the Old Testament and it only occurs with the, the flood account. And the word copper is translated ransom 13 times in the Old Testament. It has the meaning, the price of a life. And furthermore, the verb form of copper is capper, which means to cover, to make an atonement, to make a propitiation. Now, if you catch the picture, if you want to save your household, it's the price of a life. Is your little boy worth that? Is that teenage son or daughter, are they worth that? Is that married offspring that you have and you occasionally visit and you see your grand, are they worth saving their life? Then you'd better catch this thing of praying a covering over them, make atonement for them, pray they'll be covered by the blood, pray protection over them, pitch your home well. There's some things you want to keep in and there's other things that you want to keep out. And he's protected by God's manning the door. For Genesis 7, 16 of the Lord shut him in. By faith, he was moved by fear. And thirdly, he found favor with God. Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What's the definition of grace? It's unmerited favor. He found favor. I pray, God, let me have some favor from you. And back to this Andalusian world, it came to pass that while the men began to multiply on the face of the earth, God saw the wickedness of man was great. In verse 7, the Lord said, I'll destroy man. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of God saw the wickedness of mankind, but he also saw the walk of a man and his wife and family. Flood came and all perished except those on the ark. And the flood waters came and the big boat began to lift up off of the earth and weeks passed. And then in chapter eight of verse one, it said that God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And verse five said the waters decreased continually and it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and he sent out a dove. But the dove returned, the Bible said, because he could not find a place to rest the soles of his feet. I sat in my office a little bit ago and I said, God, may the Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus at his baptism, may the great dove of heaven descend and find a heart or a life that he can move into and find a resting place to dwell. There's a storm coming. I've never felt it in my life like I feel it in all this week. Every time I try to think about this particular day of the year, it seemed like God was saying, but there's a storm coming. Would you remind them of the storm? It was May 18, 1980. It was out in the state of Washington, Mount St. Helen. Down in the bowels of the earth, it began to rumble and the earth began to shake. 
You can feel it for miles and miles away, geologists. They begin to put out warnings and the news media begin to tell people you need to be getting away from this mountain because there's a volcano that may erupt. Everybody better get away. We've never seen the rector scale as high as it is now. Wasn't just like an earthquake where the earth was shaking like a quake and the mountain was beginning to spew every little bit of hissing sounds that you could hear rumbling miles away. Living at the very base of that mountain was a man by the name of Harry R. Truman. Businessman, he'd been a bootlegger, been a prospector. He'd lived for 52 years and ran what was called the Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. They sent troopers to warn him he needed to get out. Everybody else is gone and we think the volcano's about to erupt and he laughed and he said, let it go. I'm a part of the mountain, the mountain's a part of me. I've lived here this long, it'll never bother me. You're just talking. He refused to leave. Rangers came and those forest rangers begged him and urged him to leave. His niece drove up and she told him, you need to leave, and he laughed about it. Finally, his daughter begged him to go, and he didn't, May 18th. The eruption came and literally devastated. It filled up that lake till the lake was gone and covered that lodge with 150 feet of volcanic ash and debris. It's likely that he died of heat shock in less than a second, too quickly to register pain before his body was vaporized. And the landslide is the largest recorded in history as it flowed over the top of Spirit Lake. Warned and warned and warned. I believe that for a long time, Noah tried to warn that crowd. And his wife, and the daughters-in-law, and the sons, and they continue to live right and continue to get ready for the storm. And I'm simply saying to you in closing this morning, there is a storm coming. But I believe there's an ark of safety. And you can get aboard the ark. And nobody has to miss the ark. It was big enough. It's big enough to handle us all. And there's a place of safety. If you want it, mother. And if you want it, dad. If you want it, young people. There's a place called the bosom of the master. He's our great heart, Father. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org.